This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. Great pleasure to have back one of my favorite guests, somebody who I love the writings of, who is very knowledgeable and has a delightful accent. Uh, Nicholas Wapshot is opinion editor of Newsweek, also an author. His newest book is entitled The Sphinx, Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationist, and The Road to World War II. His his book is available at Amazon.com, but it's also available at www.norton.com forward slash books. Hey, Nicholas, how you doing, buddy? Happy Thursday. Thanks for joining us. I'm doing very well, Leslie. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be back. Uh, I feel like every time you're back, there's just so much huge news. Do the bad guys call you and say, hey, Nicholas, when you're on the show? <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a Jonah, you know. <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> but as a journalist, that's not bad. The, uh, I arrived, can you imagine? I arrived to live in the United States as the bureau chief of the London Times two weeks before 9-11, and I lived two blocks south of the World Trade Center. So my very own district, my locality, my neighborhood, was the one under attack. And since then, I've been thinking that sort of everywhere I go, something goes wrong. I'll probably be put on a watch list before long. Oh, God. (laughs) Nicholas, you probably thought, so I've come to the United States at that time, where they really don't have much, you know, in in, in the way of terrorism compared to uh, the UK, especially London, formerly with the IRA, and then, you know, uh, with these, uh, you know, uh, more jihadi types. And uh, then uh, 9-11, terrible. But you're not anywhere near Ferguson, Missouri right now, right? No, I'm not. I had nothing to do with anything to do with uh, anything to do with Missouri, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about uh, Missouri. Terrible. Uh, Two officers shot, thankfully, both released in the hospital and will uh, live shot and wounded. Um, Officials are calling this an ambush attack. This is how they referred to the attack on the two police officers who did not make it uh, in uh, New York City. And this is the latest spasm of violence, uh, not just in Ferguson. Um, but between allegedly African-Americans, and I say allegedly because we don't know who's done this as of yet, um, and uh, the city's uh, police force, which is mostly white. Nicholas, let's cut to the chase here. Is is part of the reason and part of the problem, Not there, there should, there's no justification for this, absolutely. Michael Brown's family and you know the, the majority of the African-American community nationwide condemned this or any violence, as has the attorney general, the president, the list goes on. But do you feel in a city where you have 67% African-Americans and an overwhelmingly white presence among police that that's part of the problem right there? That's an easy fix that they haven't looked at. It must be. As you say, there's nothing that condones violence. Uh, We've only just passed Martin Luther King Day again, and the great example shown by Martin Luther King was that actually it was to do with passive protest, which was far more effective than anything you could do. Uh, Anything that's violent will automatically turn people against your cause, whatever the cause is. You mentioned the IRA, exactly that. And in this case, well, the Justice Department has provided a great list of things that Ferguson should do without delay in order to smarten up its act. And you can imagine the departure of the chief police officer there. Uh, it couldn't have happened with him. He plainly was blind to what was going on directly under his nose. So a new guy at the top 
maybe even a new woman at the top, how about that, would sort it out pretty quickly, I imagine. But they're very strict. You know, we're about a half a dozen in, uh, immediate things that should be done, and there are another six things should be done pretty soon. But it's certainly a sense that when the police are not fair or not seem to be fair, fair and when they are just using... Uh, traffic stops to either harass people or to raise revenue, then the system of justice is totally out of kilter. But, you know, Ferguson is just one place in the United States. There are many, many other places where police departments uh, use their authority with, let's put it this way, with less discretion than one might expect as an American citizen. There may be just too many police altogether, by the way. I don't mean individual policemen. But if you look in, the, uh, in, uh, in and around Ferguson, we're talking about many different police uh, organizations. They, it might be a good idea to bring them closer together. You would imagine local policing was good. But in this case, local policing put them outside of the sort of control that you would get with a much more professional, larger body. So it may be that it's worth looking at that the militarization of the police, too, is just a racket. I mean, this is a way that the Defense Department tried to sort of offload its, uh, its problems with its own budget by selling to police departments at a knockdown rate used or sometimes brand new uh, military hardware, which actually no police in their right mind would want to use. I mean, can you imagine in Ferguson you would ever need the sort of riot gear? It was like watching some sort of Japanese kung fu movie. It was astonishing. This should not be what on an American street you would expect to see, except in the direst of circumstances. So there's a big, big job to be done there. But as I say, uh, I think that every uh, police chief throughout the United States should look at what's happened in Ferguson and look what happened to the Ferguson police chiefs and then just think about whether it could happen to them. If a Justice Department inquiry were to come overnight and look at what they were doing, would they survive? And I suspect that a lot of people uh, would, would get a little anxious and should start moving pretty quickly. You know, African-American or the African-American community, not just in Ferguson, but, you know, in major cities, especially in this country, New York, uh, D.C., Los Angeles, uh, Chicago, but elsewhere, um, have complained about racial profiling, have complained that there's some kind of scam, have have complained that the deck is stacked against them, um, that, you know, there are just so many more blacks, you know, arrested or, you know, stopped or uh, brought in and that racism exists in the police department, that there is a, you know, a, an attitude, um, a negative attitude toward not just African-Americans, but people of color. In over, in, in over 30,000 pages, at least in Ferguson, by the Department of Justice investigation, those claims were not, you know, there are people that say, oh, African-Americans are always, you know, you know, you know, cr- you know throwing in the race card and talking about racial profiling, but... All of the claims of the African-American community, at least in Ferguson, based on the Department of Justice investigation, are true. And there are example after example for thousands of pages. I'm willing to bet if the Department of Justice did an investigation into every police department in the United States, you may not find that. But I think you find something that warrants this feeling, um, which leads to the lack of trust and even lack of respect uh, for the police department. We know that 96% of the arrests in Ferguson were of black uh, African-Americans. 67% of them make up the population. And and, the, and when you just look at the stops, the reason for the stops, the racial profiling, it's blatant. 
Yeah, and these are people on the whole just driving through that district. They didn't even live there. Right. They were just, you know, they, they, that, that's a great way to raise money, isn't it, it's through taxation. You find people who aren't even residents. Uh, that happens in, oh, it happens all over the place, and that also is a terrible precedent. It certainly happens in New York State. If you drive uh, up north of New York State, you find that you're stopped for speeding. You might be doing, a, you know, five, ten miles o- over a limit, but in broad, open countryside. And the police will openly tell you, hey, we do this because we need the cash. And when you, you know, when foreigners, as it were, when people outside the area come, then we do them. The, the, the easy way in Ferguson appears was that they could work out from the, the, the people inside the car whether they were likely to be locals or not, which was, uh, contributed to it. But it's, it's a very, very sorry business. I'll tell you the thing which is, I find depressing. You and I are both optimists, otherwise we wouldn't have the sort of general political perspective that we have. We think that life could be better for everybody if only we worked it out properly. A lot of people don't have that. But what I'm pessimistic about is we'll forget Ferguson pretty quickly. We're only remembering it now because the Justice Department had some unfinished business there. But if you remember, you know, the Newtown shootings, remember? That yep. was a big scandal. Everybody was going to do something about that. Nothing. Nothing. At all, you know, odd people here and there in, in states that are already doing something about guns did something. But if anything, the people who were in favor of guns or the people in, in, in Ferguson who actually don't see anything, any problem in, in, uh, or, or blame uh, what happened in Ferguson on the wrong people, uh, they, they have just doubled down. There are a lot of people who this just confirms what they believe, that there's somehow some sort of federal conspiracy against local policing or local activities, and uh, it's overreached by the federal government. That is absolutely the wrong conclusion to come to. In a country as extraordinary and wonderful with the Constitution that the United States has, every citizen should be treated equally. And the fact that it isn't so many years uh, after, never mind after the signing of the, of the Republic, but so many years after those great civil rights legislation, the great leadership of Martin Luther King and so on, we're talking 50 years ago, and still uh, not, not enough progress has been made. It's, it's sort of pathetic, uh, the people who try to defend, not the status quo today, but the status quo that shouldn't have existed 50 years ago, and they're still clinging on. Uh, well, uh, things are going to go terribly wrong unless... You amend things. If you remember that, uh, that great remark by Lampedusa, where he said, in order for things to stay the same, things need to change. So if people are genuinely would prefer to live the sort of life they live, they have to understand that the world has moved on. If they want to preserve that sort of lifestyle that they've become used to, they're still going to have to make some amendments to it in order to allow uh, the rights of people, their fellow Americans, uh, to express themselves fully. We're going to take a break, and uh, we're going to be back in just a moment here after a quick break. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio of four and by you, the, the people. Excuse me. Nicholas Wapshot is our guest, opinion editor of Newsweek, also author, and uh, definitely want to hear from you. Uh, we're talking at 888 leslie 888-653-7543. Uh, Nicholas, let's take some calls. Does that sound good? You're good. Okay. Uh, let's see uh, who is up first here. Uh, do we still have – oh, I thought we had Brian in Cleveland. Um, okay, sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, Brian, uh, I guess Michael in the Bronx was up first. Michael on line five, good afternoon. Question or comment? Good afternoon, folks. Uh, first off, let me give my utmost um, 
best wishes to the officers that were shot and hoping they make a great recovery. Nobody deserves that kind of ambush, no matter what side you're on. Nobody deserves that. Having said that, um, I take issue to what the now resigned police chief said. He states, and I quote, that I have to assume that those shots were intended for my cops. Now, number one, we all know what happens when some people, especially some idiots, assume. Do I need to spell it out, Leslie? Uh, you don't have to spell it, Michael. Just, <laughs> just say what you mean. Well, pretty, pretty much, in case anybody doesn't know, when people assume you make an ass out of you and me, okay? And the thing is that I'm surprised no one even gave a thought that suppose if the gunshots came from some kind of right-wing um, Second Amendment gloating um, advocate, if I could use that term. And the reason being is when you think about it, there was peaceful protest throughout that whole time period, and the people that were protesting were getting ready to disperse peacefully. Given these individuals have been forever marked or targeted by the police department, and we know full well that this kind of stuff is going on in other cities, including my own New York City, which we're trying to reform, I seriously doubt that anybody will be that crazy or foolish to um, create a commotion or create some kind of problem in risking a getting fatally shot or somebody else nearby getting fatally shot. You know what I'm saying? It could have been since there's so many right-wing um, zealots and extremists that want to shut this kind of discussion down and silence the messengers. Who's to say that someone tried to take a shot at one of the protesters but it was a bad shot and struck a cop? We don't know that. So I think it was very wrong for that police chief to make that kind of a statement to try to point the finger or suggest that it was an anti-cop or a one of the protesters against police brutality. Yeah, but Michael, you have a cop. video of somebody who said, you, you know, something with reference to when Michael Brown was shot, the timeline. You have witnesses. You had a protest. Um, and, and, you know, I understand until, you know, an arrest is made, although three people are in custody. Nicholas, what do you think about that? Do you think Michael is correct that, uh, you know, perhaps that should not have been said? Or do you feel that there is enough information thus far to warrant such? Well, I think, I mean, one of the reasons that, you know, the policing is so bad is because of assumptions like that. The fact is that if you're a cop, the first thing you do is to actually keep your mind free and clear. And so I think Michael has a very good point. There are all sorts of crazy people that have gone to Ferguson looking for a bit of a lark, looking for trouble, looking to be able to express their point of view. And they're not all local concerned citizens. They're people come from way out of state. Who knows exactly who did this? Or there are all sorts of people who fess up to things just to get on the TV. A police chief should not, at the beginning of an investigation, there will be an investigation, already prejudice the investigation by saying what he assumes must have 
gone on. Okay. We've, okay, Nicholas, Michael hold Price, on. Hold on. Lot, that's caused a lot of trouble in the past, and it will do again. Okay, we're going to take a break. We'll come back, Michael, let you finish up, and I want Nicholas uh, to continue responding. I'm Leslie Marshall, back with our guest, Nicholas Wapshot, author, and with Newsweek, right after this. So, Michael and Nicholas thinks you made a good point, and, and here I was somewhat defending uh, the police chief, uh, you know, based on that video. But, you know what, I, I, I sitting here and listening to you guys, you both convinced me. Uh, Michael in the Bronx, anything <laughs> else, dear? Uh, any other question or comment? Yes, thanks, Leslie. Yeah, I, I just point out that how upset that gets me because besides the um, the assuming part and breaking it down, it's those kinds of assumptions, those kinds of stereotypes, those kinds of rush to judgments that not only, as your guests say, jeopardizes an investigation, but this is how innocent people are wrongly convicted, wrongly killed for that matter. How many times have we heard the same excuse from police officers that shoot unarmed people of color? We thought they had a gun. We assumed them to have the gun. And so it ends innocent people's lives. I just wish they'd stop it. I'm sorry, but I'm part of me is so glad that that police chief resigned because that latest statement he made proves that he has he is totally unfit to be leading any police department. I don't have to be a cop to know what's right and what's wrong. Damn it, you're down. You're there to protect and serve. You don't go around making assumptions and and creating this kind of prejudicial, racist climate. It's unlawful, it's unconstitutional, it's unethical, and damn it, they know full well they won't like it if they was done to them. Okay, thank you, Michael. Appreciate the call. Uh, Nicholas? Uh, oh, well, I agree with Michael and Tali. I think that uh, he's absolutely right. It is that, let's use it in a very commas, assumption about the police chief. He didn't need to do any inquiries. He didn't do, do an investigation. He'd already come to a conclusion the color of the people involved. I mean, not even, you know, names or anything like that, but he knew already the color. He knew that they were African-Americans. It's outrageous that that, just, it, that's a mental stereotype. He's stuck with it. He, he's uh, stuck way back in history somewhere. Uh, and it, there's no room for that in a modern police force, and there's no room for that at the top of a police force, certainly. So and how, Michael, and how stupid in this climate, how stupid in this climate, oh. because oh. if, in fact, these are people that came to the protest to shoot police because they knew they would be outside with these protesters, if, in fact, they're African-American and they're trying to knock, over, knock out two police that are white or as many as they can, and if, in fact, they are doing this in retaliation for Officer Wilson not being indicted, no charges being brought against him, and the death of Michael Brown, what he to, to react in that manner doesn't help future situations and help uh, because th- these are this is not the will of the opinion of or the actions of the majority of that community. If in fact the assumptions uh, by the uh, police chief are accurate, yeah, I think that the the assumption too is that somehow that all African Americans think alike and have similar motives. That's the other thing. Just because what well, because of their skin color, it's nuts. So. Who knows? It may well be an African-American, turns out. It may, we may never discover it. But let's assume it may have been an African-American. Now, what's the motive for that? There might have been someone there deliberately in order to, to inflame the existing trouble. There are all sorts of political motives, white and black, that might have uh, arisen. 
uh, in leading to these shootings. So to make any sorts of assumptions is just, uh, just such bad policing. But uh, as you say, he, he's out the door. Uh, what, what we really need to ensure is that the new top cop is uh, someone who has a much more open mind and is a bit more rational and also knows when to keep his mouth shut instead of uh, encouraging, somehow encouraging one set of uh, his local population who pay his salary against the other set of population who pay his salary. Everybody's a taxpayer in Ferguson, uh, one way or another. Yeah, and, a- and actually it is a police chief's job to say we are questioning three suspects. We have not made any arrests. Yeah. When and if we do, we will know. This is the status of the police officers. Yeah. This is what yeah. we plan to do to keep those of you in the community safe from stray bullets and with, you know, a yeah. shooter or shooters at large. That's what I want to hear from my top cop. It's yep, all let's... under control. We're yep. making good progress here. This won't happen again, or we think it's most unlikely. I've done the best to ensure that karma's returned to Ferguson. Instead, all he did was to aggravate across the nation rational people saying, how dare he make that leap? All he's done is to just show what a fool he was in the first place. Even if that's what everybody's thinking. Very true. Uh, Brian in Cleveland, line two, you're up next. I know Brian had something. Uh, Brian, you want to weigh in on, on this as well as your other issue? Because I think you had called in on another issue that we haven't touched upon as of yet. Brian? Yeah, I do have a pity of this too, but uh, it's really called about the other issue. But well, you, you can you can t- you can uh, bring up both. both. How about on this first? <laughs> okay. Well, on on this on this whole Ferguson issue, I mean, um, I didn't hear what the police chief said. The most recent thing I heard what he said this morning, but you know, I, it's hard to believe that this could be a left right or have different kind of opinions on this this particular issue. Somebody shoots some cops, you try to figure out and do it. But in the bigger scheme of things, you know, if we look at, you know, the racist chants on the bus or, 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 or the reactions in Ferguson, I think your guest just pointed out, you know, we have to sit back and with these suspects, we have to sit back and be rational and wait till all the facts are out. I 100% correct. However, if you look at what happened with the shooting of Michael Brown, the community did not do that. They just assumed right away that the officer was guilty. They assumed that it was race-based. They assumed, you know, there was all sorts of false testimony that hands up, don't shoot, came out. So I think, you know, if, we, if we're going to be consistent, if we're going to ask for rationality and, and uh, calm and logic, we got to be logical and calm on our side, too. You know, there was a whole bunch of overreaction on the uh, on the Michael Brown shooting, which came out, even even Attorney General Holder said, you know, there was no evidence, no legitimate evidence of hands up, don't shoot, no legitimate evidence that that was racially based. So, you know, let's yeah, let's criticize uh, let's criticize the police chief, but let's also criticize people on our side who jumped to conclusions all the time. I mean, it's you know, it it. It's interesting because I just have to jump in here. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you keep saying our side. What what is our side versus theirs? Who are are us and who are them? The side of logic and reason as opposed to let's turn this into a Democrat-Republican thing. All Republicans are terrible or all Democrats are terrible. And all Republicans are racist. That's not true. All Democrats. But who is who is who is to. saying that? The people of Ferguson. By the way, I mean, do you even know the demographic breakdown? Not not everybody in Ferguson is a Democrat, and I would imagine not every police officer is a Republican. Right. 
I know. Well, that's my whole point. But if you listen, if you listen to shows like you or yours and the shows on the right like yours, it's all let's let's categorize all of our political opponents the same way. It's it's lazy, it's dishonest, and it's uh, and it doesn't get us to where your guest was actually talking about where we need to get. Sure, don't make assumptions about the suspects, but don't make assumptions about the other side either. And, and you know you you know you do it. We all do it. I mean, it's human nature. But I don't think there are assumptions made. If, in fact, the person on the video is the shooter and what they said, it is clear that they are, are doing this in retaliation for Michael uh, Brown's death. Nicholas, please uh, weigh in on this before we move to the uh, next issue. Yeah, well, no, I think that there is a point, and there's no doubt that there's a sort of shorthand in all political debates where you tend to use a caricature, and the difference between a caricature and a stereotype is not too much. It's probably identical, in fact, so... Uh, sure, we we make those shortcuts, and and I think it's probably it is worth a reminder that hold on, let's not also assume that uh, the people that we don't like all think the same. There is no point condemning other people for the crime that we uh, that we are indeed falling for ourselves. So you're quite right. Uh, you should you should be aware when we make these things. When it comes to Ferguson shooting, I don't want to relitigate that. We haven't got enough time. But the uh, when an unarmed person is shot dead repeatedly, <laughs> though, I think that you've got to look for exactly how that happens. And Michael Brown isn't the only one, as we know. The, this happens so often, so regularly, and so often the unarmed person is black, including that nine-year-old boy with the toy gun and so on. He didn't have any time to be asked any questions about what's going on here. He was gone. And so there is a pattern that emerges, and as much as we'd like, I think, to say... Let's be entirely reasonable here, and let's just look at all the evidence very clearly. If you, if it's a bit like the people who are stopped and searched for, for, well, for whatever reason, they are overwhelmingly black. And we're not talking, you know, 55% to 45%. We're talking 9 out of 10 of the people who are stopped, probably more, are black. And the people who are shot at short, short uh, range with no, uh, with, and they're unarmed, tend overwhelmingly to be black. And actually, the number of black people in America is not such a large proportion. So that shows how completely out of kilter society has got when these things are so repetitive that you have to try to work out a, a more general theory. What is going on here? Can there be a sort of broader thing like racism at play? And of course, we do know that racism is prevalent uh, in a number of police departments. It's not just Ferguson. It happens everywhere. Uh, and that has to be taken into account. That's what we're trying to get the bottom of, after all. How can these terrible, they're not accidents, how can these terrible incidents carry on going? How can so many people be shot dead for no good reason by policemen? That's what we need to find out, and I think that we are getting closer to it. The fact is that there is an institutional racism in too many police forces. Uh, so that's what I think about it. And I know, caller, that you had um, another comment, uh, Brian, that you wanted to make regarding foreign policy and the candidates for 2016. Yes. Well, please do. Oh, yeah. Um, well, so I guess it's a little off topic from this one, but it uh, it kind of relates to the whole fact that, uh, you know, why is the left, why, again, it's, it's related to Hillary and um, the foreign policy that, she has. I, I I was looking to try to find like what successes that she had, 
and it was it was kind of amusing. I, I googled it, and lo and behold, Leslie, I came across your blog on uh, on uh, what is it, US News, I think, about the successes. But I think when you look at even the successes that you pointed out, they're amazingly weak. I mean, and given all of Hillary's flaws, well, where, where, well, where would the successes be for Scott Walker on foreign policy, or Marco Rubio, or Jeb Bush, um, or uh, Paul uh, Rand, or who else is running? Uh, Chris, Chris, Rand Paul. Sorry, I'm you know flip flopping his name. I, I, I uh, or, or, or Chris Christie. I, I think one thing you have to look at is well, I don't really care that much about the Republicans, but but if you looked at if you looked at uh, what the potential is on the Democratic side, if you have somebody that tur- well, if you don't have Hillary, then you then you have uh, Joe Biden, who you may like uh, the foreign policy work of, but Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, what have they done with foreign policy? Well, my point is, if you've tried doing something and you didn't get anything done, maybe it's better to try somebody who. Who will get something done? I think, but, but to be a president and a secretary of state are very different. Secretary of state is actually works for the president of the United States. Yeah, if you're president, in other in other Obama. words, there are things that she would have done. I'm sure very differently than Barack Obama. She's even referred to even by left and right as more hawkish than Barack Obama. Nicholas. Yeah, I think that's the key to it, isn't it? The fact is that I don't think that uh, if we had Barack Obama taking part of this conversation, he would say anything else apart from. Uh, Hillary did exactly as I asked her to do. And that's what a Secretary of State must do. I think he's given a little more leeway to John Kerry, maybe, uh, because he actually wants to get some things achieved. But in his first term, uh, what he wanted just was a lid kept on all of the foreign problems that were going on. There's there's no doubt she worked amazingly hard at it. Uh, She has foreign policy experience in a way that, uh, if you've been Secretary of State, you acquire... Uh, the context you acquire, she already did a first lady in a, in a way, but she has uh, overwhelmingly good foreign policy uh, equipment. The, the, I don't think there's any doubt, too, that she would be more hawkish. She is much more interventionist than Obama. Obama, he's not an isolationist, but, but he's someone who stood back, and he, I think he sensed the, the American uh, people's will, and that was that having had a dozen years in Iraq and 15 years in Afghanistan, we're very, very weary of war. Uh, the, the number of people have been killed, the cost it's, uh, the, the just the cost in terms of treasure, and let alone the, the distraction and the way that the money has been used there when it might have been used at home and so on. This is entirely rational, and I think that Obama was right to try to hold back. For somebody like Hillary, I think that uh, it's very difficult to, to, to get, obviously, in these circumstances, an honest appraisal from Hillary herself. But I think that what we do understand is that actually in many cases she was rather frustrated by having to sort of tread water uh, when her instinct would have been to do more uh, and act more strongly in, in many things, including Syria. We're, we'll find out eventually uh, she still has a sort of vow of silence as long as Obama's the president. And I suppose then she becomes the, if she becomes the president, she's going to keep quiet about it even then. But eventually we'll discover exactly what she did and did not agree with Obama. But I don't think Obama's got any complaints. She did exactly, she followed the brief like a lawyer. She followed the brief as asked by Obama. And uh, goodness me, it's put her in... Uh, for four years, the Secretary of State, she traveled, as we know, more miles than anybody else has ever traveled. Uh, she, she worked very hard at it. 
Uh, no, no one can doubt her sincerity. You don't have to do that. It's a, it's a thankless task. The world is always going terribly wrong on your watch. I mean, look, look what happened during the, the four years of Hillary. I mean, uh, Syria, Libya, uh, Egypt, uh, the whole rise of ISIS, and the beginning of Ukraine even was, was uh, already grumbling away. Uh, that's a hell of a lot. And actually, I suppose that uh, she followed Obama's uh, instructions to the letter because she managed to keep America out of those things, which is what he wanted. Her instinct, I think, might have been to be a little more proactive in Syria. It might have been to be, nowadays, to be a bit more robust against Putin than, uh, than Obama. Uh, so I, I, I think she's in a, in a good place, as, as long as you agree that actually you're happy with America being the world's policeman. The fact is, we are whether we like it or not, and we can either do it well or badly. Uh, the alternative, which is to shrink behind our borders, doesn't exist anymore and hasn't existed since World War II, which is indeed what my, um, my book about Franklin Roosevelt is all about, exactly how America came to be the world's policeman and uh, how difficult it was because a lot of Americans didn't want it to happen. I suspect a lot of Americans don't want it to happen today. We know Rand Paul secretly believes that. He really doesn't want any, like his father, he doesn't want things to happen abroad. But uh, most people, it seems that whatever happens in 2016, we're going to have, unless it's Rand Paul as the president, we're going to have a sort of hawkish, more hawkish than Obama anyway, president. And then the, the boot will be on the other foot, and then he'll, she will be criticized for doing too much. Uh, at the moment, Obama's being accused of doing too little. Uh, in a way, it's one of those thankless tasks. There is no uh, right answer to this. You do what you have to do, and you do what you think is best, and you don't get any second chances. Uh, Hillary, though, I think acquitted herself pretty well. Uh, I don't think that uh, I, I, there's no foreign leaders complained about her, are there? I mean, you know, which I, 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 if you're looking Look, at, the Clintons yeah, are still loved more. President Clinton's loved more than any other president, including Obama now and, and Bush formerly. We're going to take a break. Back with Nicholas Wapshot and you. We're back on Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. He's Nicholas Wapshot. Well, Nicholas, it is that time this afternoon to talk about weed (laughs) and uh, actually uh, a couple of things here Uh, very quickly we have like a minute there's a bipartisan bill that's going that would remove federal marijuana prohibitions and fed trump state uh, talk to us about that very briefly Uh, yeah effectively this is interesting this is Rand paul and kirsten gillibrand republican and a democrat joined up for once uh, the bipartisanship that we rather like, uh, it, uh, in order to try to change uh, marijuana from a Class A drug, which is really tough stuff like heroin, and to put it into at least uh, the second grade. Uh, what, it, you, it, this this is, comes back from a, a general movement in the 70s, which was the notion that in order to get rid of marijuana, which is a very easy thing to get hold of, why don't we make it, give it the toughest uh, punishments, and therefore we'll purge it. Well, that didn't work plainly. All prohibition of this sort of drug is never going to work, as we know from the Volstead Act and alcohol. What it has done, though, is to allow uh, arbitrarily people to be picked up for possession of small amounts of weed, and it turns out to be a Class A drug, so then and mandatory sentencing, they're put in the slammer forever, which is not healthy for anybody. We put too many people in prison, in this case, for what turns out to be a trivial stuff. 
And the other thing about the change... Oh, we're out of time, but we will have you back. But I, I hear you. It causes overcrowding, and, you know, you know, somebody selling a dime bag alongside a rapist and a murderer doesn't make sense. Nicholas, thank you for joining us. Follow him on Twitter, at NWAPshot. Check out his book, The Sphinx, Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationist and the Road to World War II. Get it at Amazon.com or www.norton.com forward slash books.